Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Noah. And welcome back to another chat episode of Talking Lion. We just released a song called We're Fine, and we wanted to do a deep dive into this song. We actually started it five years ago, November of 2015, and it's taken a very interesting journey over the course of its creation. Likewise, it's one of the first songs we've put out in a while where Noah and I were 100% the writing production on it. So we want to go through the song, each line, each part, and really show you how this song came together over the course of five years. So without further ado, this is Talking Lion. Where fine exists. It's it's out in the world. It's out in the world. That's People, absolutely wild. You listener can listen to it now, on which is title if you want to. You could listen to it on SoundCloud. You can listen to it on uh, Spot- uh, Spotify, Amazon Music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen to it on Spotify. Yeah. Please, I guess, or Apple Apple Music. Apple yeah, Music li- works. Listen to it anywhere. But it's it's really weird that it it exists now in the world because we've been sitting on this song for. Pretty much five years. Five years, yeah. You know, we, we were talking about it. Like, when, when we started it, you were 18, I was 19. Yeah. Like, we were babies. We were little babies. We didn't um, know anything. What's interesting thematically about the song, we're going to dive into it for sure, but because of how it was written, it winds up spanning two relationships. For, for me, that, that at the start of writing the song, I was just at the end of the first one. So it's just it's just interesting that like this song, in a, in a sense sort of was able, we were able to communicate with it and it communicated with us and sort of grew in that in that way. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, when we started writing the song, I was probably relating it very much to my first relationship in my head. And then I, I guess in a sense, it grew to represent my second. And now at the time when it's come out, it sort of relates to my third relationship and hopefully one day I'll explore that through the verse writing process. Oh yeah. Well, uh, we can talk about that later. I mean, happy to talk about it now. One of the things that we we might wind up doing that I'm really excited about is because we both have these sort of fledgling solo projects that we're working on. We're we're still doing Sleep and Lion, but we're also exploring, you know, individually the music that we make. We we thought it'd be interesting because this song like We're Fine covers two relationships, but I've had another one since that that ended, that I, I, would, I wrote a verse about, that my project would have its sonic palette do a version with this new verse, and Noah with his sonic palette would do a kind of remix, a Music for Birds remix yeah. of, uh, with, his, with, with his verses. Which I'm excited to I'm excited to hear just because you're a great writer. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, it's it's a daunting challenge, but I've I've the initial seed of the idea for what these verses would look like has has been sprung. So the gauntlet has been thrown. The gauntlet has been thrown. But I wanna I wanna set the scene for the listener. It's November 2015. Noah and I are in a dorm in Boston. It's one room, so we share a room with a third roommate. My desk is against one wall and his desk is against the other wall with a little keyboard uh, on it. My, my bed is tucked on the other wall and his, he's- I'm he's on the top bunk. Top bunk of a bunk bed on the opposite end. So sort of four quadrants of this of this room. It's cold because we're in Boston. My girlfriend at the time had just moved to Paris and we, we broke up and had sort of stopped talking. And we just started Sleeping Lion. And you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, we put out You Made Me on YouTube yeah. September 17th, 2015. We put out Rug- which was our first like, you know, DSP streaming single. Yeah, November of 2015. So we were just we were just, just starting. starting out. We didn't, yeah, we the project was like barely anything yet. I remember you playing the two chords, the the D flat with the seven. Yeah, and the A flat with the seven on an electric piano. Sound. On an electric piano sound. I remember it was really pretty, 
And, but you were playing it in four. Yeah. And I kind of asked you to teach me the chords and I sat down and. You keep saying, oh, baby, baby, that's a long time. Waiting for the calculate the time. So count the days till you're home and spend some time. You keep saying, oh, baby, that's a long time. Like it took a couple minutes, but it was it was there. Yeah, it that felt, chorus came together pretty quick. I remember it felt really, really indicative of of this time that I had with with my very recent ex, and just some of the conversations her and I had had before she moved to Paris. But yeah, what, what's interesting is that because it was in four, we were trying to write these verses and everything like that, and it had nothing. It looked and sounded nothing like what what it was. It was um. Seen the same blue. Didn't realize it was playing on repeat till I saw you. Getting on the plane to leave, you're in your seat, so I called you. Screened by your answering machine, a blank screen in the dark room. And what what I really appreciate about the production uh, in the the one that's out now is that the song starts with like a sound of like a VCR or something. Just paying very quiet respects to to that to original tape, verse. Yeah, the tape sound. The idea of the tape loop. The tape looping. But the chorus was there, and I, I almost like I, I think I wrote two two kind of bridges. One was an interpolation of like oh, right. God only knows, and then the other one was. Did you write a second verse? You woke up crying one When you visited New York, you thought we were doing all right. But you were unsure. If we could keep it up when you move farther. You asked me if we was going to be together. Not that I didn't want to. That I didn't know how know what I don't know about tomorrow Let alone a year from now But it is interesting that like what, what stayed was this chorus and this bridge Right Because I feel like the, the, the ending Now a bridge is an outro essentially Yeah But there is something really like That I think stuck with us over the years Of just like there's a, there's a lot of perspective in that line. I know right now I wouldn't mind waiting around. But we both have our lives to live. The tense changes like the first go around. It's we both had our lives to live, and then it goes we both have our lives to live. You know, recognizing these sort of like cycles. And but now I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Because we dropped the song after you know because it, it was stupid. Like we dropped it because it was this four four thing. Yeah, it was just no, it never felt like a fully realized song. It just but it was there was a chorus. I always liked the chorus. But yeah. yeah, I just like I, I remember kind of like I feel like I feel like it, it wasn't it wasn't even necessarily an argument, but I remember at one point kind of 
somewhat uh, annoyedly saying like it's not a song. To yeah, you. I forget the context specifically in which, but I remember I remember you being like, "Oh, we got this song." I'm like, "Well, it's not really. It's not a song." Like, which which like, I, I took to heart. Like I I think one of the things that we learned in that those early years was like how to drop something, like yeah. how to just move on. We were very sacred with our stuff. But we also knew when something wasn't working. Yeah. And that was one of the songs that always just like, yeah, I love that chorus, but like it doesn't feel like a like a thing. So then years pass. Yeah, literally years which pass. Is, which is so funny. What we used to do when we were at the beginning of, of Sleeping Lion is Noah would make, because we were remote for a good chunk of it. He was in Rome, I was in New York. So he would make these grooves. There would be these like 30 second things that I would like top line before we learned that we both didn't necessarily love doing that as right. like a song creation process. Um, but he would send these grooves, these grooves over. And... What's so what's so interesting is that like like I you know wrote the the chorus after girlfriend number one went to Paris got into another relationship that relationship ended and I moved to Los Angeles so at this point it's like November of 2017 so two years since that first time and I remember you sent me a groove well okay here's the thing the the beat we actually started together in our old apartment in Boston. I remember I remember this moment very specifically. I remember the moment when it happened. I'd been working all day on a, on a beat that I started. I just downloaded Analog Strings by Output and I was playing around with some of the sounds. And I was like messing around with these voicings and you came into my room and you were like, oh, that's a really cool sound. And then you're like, can I play around with that patch for a second? And you started playing the chords to work fine. beat that I was this, this like groove that I was working on was in 6-8 and you started singing We're Fine over it and you're like what if this song was in 6-8 and I was just like uh I don't really know about that like that seems like a lot that seems I, I don't know but like sure go for it and then I kind of fleshed it out tentatively as like this is the new We're Fine beat but also like we kind of were like maybe it's just a different song with the same chords and I kind of sat on that beat for a while, but then it ended up in the groove pack. Yeah, because that's that's the thing is like I forgot about that interaction. So when I heard, when I heard the like when you sent it over, I don't know if you named it "We're Fine" or just like "Groove 18." Yeah, or I think whatever. I just named I named it something nondescript because it was like even though you played the chords to "We're Fine" and sang "We're Fine" over it, and we're like this kind of works in six. It was also like well, it's still different enough that it could be an entirely new song. Well, I remember just being in in my car on the way to meeting up with a friend of mine at Crave Cafe and and that groove went up and those chords were just so familiar to me that even though it wasn't labeled, we're fine, I immediately started trying to sing it over right. this thing. And I remember texting you like, I'm like, I think this is, I think we can do we're fine in six. So I think I recorded like a, maybe a voice memo or something to send over of like, this is what it's going to be. I remember kind of racing home from my friend's place and essentially writing that first verse. First time you stayed in the house in New York, yeah, you woke me up. Caught in a panic that when you left for Paris, we'd be breaking up. Right. Because it became really, really clear with, with you know, two years of perspective that this song, this song had to be one like lived in and feel really, really specific to the experience. Yeah. And so that whole, you know, that whole story of her coming to New York and and staying over and having a panic about the the relationship and and how I I I think I answered the question really poorly because she was like, Do you think we'd make it through? And I said, I don't know, mm. because that's a really long time to think about. And I'm you know, eighteen or nineteen, right? So, I, and and in that sense, it just kind of poured out. And I, I think the line that felt 
the most real to me was like, I'm doing time zone math in my head and whispering under my breath. I'm doing time zone math in my head and whispering under my breath. Right. Because that that's just like, that was that was the whole thing. You know, that was the whole crux of the argument. So then we had the track. We had a verse. We maybe had a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> or some ending section. And then that was it. Again, we kind of put it on hold. You didn't try to write a second verse, did you? I had such a hard... Well, the first verse poured out. I didn't necessarily know where to go right. from there. Like, I didn't know whether it was worth talking about this relationship again or like what I, I just, yeah, like I didn't realize what the song was supposed to be. It wasn't necessarily speaking me past that that verse. And I almost thought the song could be like a short thing where it was like, we do the chorus, we do the verse, we do the chorus, we do the ending. Yeah. But also, you know, it was before we felt comfortable putting out any kind, anything that short. Right. And also just, I mean, at the time, you know, we were working on Easy For You. Right. You know, at the time, like we were doing very pop heavy writing sessions and it felt more like a ballad. Yeah. Or, you know, even that guitar line was very sort of 1975 influence. And in general, their influence on us was waning as well. Yeah. But it was always, it always stuck with us. We had this project we were going to do called Harbor. Right. Harbor was going to be like all of these kind of demos that never saw the light of day. We were just going to sort of throw out and we're fine was going to be in that mix. And a lot of ways, I think Harbor echoes, like Harbor echoes into different plans. Yeah. Like different plans is that ethos plus time and money. Yeah. Uh, and friends and good, you know, good, good friends. But because it was part of the Harbor project, it kind of became our focus when we went to Big Bear. Right. December of 2018. So now three years. And, and about a year since the first verse was made. Right. And I, what I love about that, that Big Bear trip was that, you know, there was no pressure. There was no anything. We just, we, we just set up the keyboard. We drank a lot. Yeah. We wrote what I get in that space as well. Yeah, we, we had, well, we had a Harbor Day. We, we were like, this is the day where we're going to work on all the Harbor stuff and just get it out of the way. So, you know, with a, with a couple of drinks in us, kind of went to, went to work on the second verse. Yeah, what was, what, what was that experience like? Like writing, how do you remember writing the second verse of We're Fine? You know, again, I was kind of just like a little bit tired, a little bit drunk. Yeah. You know, I remember being completely out of it. That's why I asked. Right. Well, I think, I think it was that one of the songs on Harbor was actually going to be this sort of like compilation song, like this like eight minute song. We backtrack on ourselves so much, it's wild. But like, we were going to make with Stop It a whole record. Mm-hmm. Stop It was actually like, a you know, in our heads, a single off of a bigger project. In 2017, the idea was that it was going to be this concept record of like all these stages of a breakup and very experimental. We decided that that wasn't necessarily what we should do as a band, but we thought that maybe we should give it a try for for Harbor. So yeah. we did actually kind of like hash out these feelings that I had about the second relationship in a way that I hadn't thought about in years. And so my brain was kind of in that place and realizing, oh, I actually made the same mistake twice of right. just not being able to give somebody certainty. There's that line, moved in with someone and fell far too slowly for her to feel we could be safe. Moved in with someone but fell far too slowly for her to feel we could be safe. I mean, we didn't really move in. She just spent a lot of time at our place. It just, you know, the writing is easier. But, but once it became clear that that was what the second verse was about was this repeating of mistakes. That was when it really struck me. But but when it when I'm like, oh, this is something that we 
could maybe take seriously was the last line. And that was a sort of thing that poured out. I was like, I was just writing, I was going through, like I'm lying there with her, just trying to convince her her fears aren't justified. I'm lying there with her, just trying to convince her her fears aren't justified. And that was gonna be it. But then I, I, I like the pen took over, you know, kind of thing. Right. And cause again, I was, I was drunk. I was just, I was just like, sort of spewing my consciousness. Like, you know, I'm trying to convince her her fears aren't justified, but I'm like, that's not how she would take that information. She would reply. Right. And she would throw back what I've said in my face. Right. And that was when the song kind of came to life for me. It's like she replied, you keep saying always, but baby, that's a long time. I am there with her, just trying to convince her her fears aren't justified. She replies, you keep saying always. And that really, that really. Love a good chorus flip. I remember freaking out though. I remember, right. do you remember like I was on the couch and I was like, I was just writing. I'm like, Noah, I think. <laughs> right. Um, it just adds like a level of, of you know, anger, like dimension to to it. I think one of my favorite little details though is that after that second breakup, you introduced me to this show called You're the Worst. Right. Uh, that show was a recommendation from my mother. I forget what, must have been December like or winter break of 2017, maybe? I think it was. My mom was just like, there's this new sitcom. It's called You're the Worst. You have to check it out. And I binged the first three seasons and it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like that show is just... Masterfully put together, effortlessly funny, and like so sharp and rips your heart out in a million different <laughs> ways. And immediately after watching that show, it became a You're the Worst Evangelist. And to everyone I know, <laughs> like any, you know, that was like, you know, the the getting into a new relationship. It's like, you haven't heard, the, it was in my Tinder bio. It was like, I'm looking for the Gretchen to my Jimmy. Like it became like a huge <laughs> part of my life. It was my breakup content. It was like the thing that in a weird way kind of got me through. Yeah, and I knew you would, I knew it was a show that you would really like, really, really like. So I, I got to like bring it to you and be like, Nate, watch this show and like get to see, I, I watched it a second time with you. Yeah. I got to watch it like anew through your eyes and like watch you freak out at just how good the writing is and how all the callbacks <laughs> like, like tie back into each other. And it, it, you know, made me, it reinforced like how much I love the show and it also became a, a nice part of our friendship. And on top of that, like we, we even like chose where we wanted to live in Los Angeles based on the show. We were like, in a, in a weird way, I think about, I think about that show and, and the ripples it's had on like our lives throughout. And I think one of our favorite scenes in the show was in a later season, uh, there's an argument and one of the main characters says, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up, you don't get to be mad. Right. And that's that's a reference to, I think, like a, like a Aesop fable. Yeah. You know, the idea being like, if you know the nature of something, you you, you don't have the, the right to be surprised by it. Right. But again, sort of as a drunken joke, we, you know, I'm like, I keep repeating mistakes like they're new for me to make. I was like, what if you were like, you knew I was a snake. <laughs> And it, it kind of, I think it hit both of us. Like, and what I liked about it was that it was this kind of dialogue. Right. You know, that it was, it was whether or not it's you literally asking, like you literally like filling in the sort of blanks or just like another part of my brain being like, hey, you don't get to be mad. Right. Or like, wh why would you be mad at yourself? You know, or whatever. Like, and what's actually really cool about the actual final record is we called up girlfriend number one. Right. Who will be unnamed. Because we're good friends now. Like we're, we're chilling. And, you know, I showed her the song, kind of explained the, the premise, and she recorded herself saying, you knew I was a snake. Verse one girl is on the second verse, kind of like dialectic. Right. Um, yeah, and I like, I like how the production in the song reflects, like, it's kind of this otherworldly, like, almost demonic voice that, that kind of highlights that it is like this, other, this maybe dark part of your brain, or it's like a distortion of the person who you're talking to being like, 
hey, like, you knew it was a snake when you picked me up. Well, we used to assign so much meaning to vocal production. Like when, yeah. in our first record, we were really adamant about only using a vocoder if it was signifying depression. Right. Like signifying, you know, this other part of you that it's, that's both enhancing and hurting hurting you. And I, f- I feel like we don't sort of as explicitly follow that now. It's a little just harder, I think. To, yeah. Um, and also vocoders in general have become a bit you know, overdone in the in the production world. But yeah, you're right. I love how it is this otherworldly thing because it is a darker part of you. Like don't like you don't have the right to be mad like at yourself and also nobody has the right to be mad at you. Right. Like, this kind of like weirdly, you know, vindictive voice, you know, that also happens to be a blend of our voices. Right. And my ex-girlfriend. But what I I like about the process of the song is that once we actually did finish it in, in Big Bear. And you know, we didn't know if Harbor was gonna happen. So it kind of just like, we, we weren't sure if it was gonna come out or how it was gonna come out or what the you know world would be for it. We knew we wanted to make changes to the production, but we didn't know what it needed. We did play it live right. once. And we played it actually with a Lyra player. Oh, right, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, at Hotel Cafe, we, were, we did a show with Evangelia and she had a Lyra player. And so he actually played along and we're like, oh, this would sound nice with, other instruments. Yeah. So in a weird way, like playing it live kind of fed into itself. So we, I think we first called up my old college roommate, Scott, and he played horns. And the horns alone were just so pretty. Yeah. Like he had these like really nice melody lines like playing throughout. But of course, we started playing the show, the song live more. So Jacob, of course, got involved. Right. And so then Jacob's playing drums. I think my favorite part about working with Jacob is that he will always do exactly as far as you ask. But if you let him go off the rails, he will go. Yeah. So like, you know, he had, he had great drum parts, but they were safe drum parts. And then when we told him to like finally go off, that fill at the end. Yeah, that fill at the ending is fucking wild. What was your mentality like as this sort of production started turning into this organic piece? I, I forgot about the uh, the show, the Hotel Cafe show where we played it acoustic. But now, now that you bring it up, I remember because this was just a beat. Like we originally wrote it on the electric piano, and in my brain, it was going to be more of like a Kevin Garrett, like Jack Garrett kind of soulful thing back when it was in four. And then it became this like really electronic, like vocal choppy, like really hard elect- hitting electronic drums, like kind of 1975-y, vibey electronic thing. And then it wasn't until we played it acoustically with a, you know, a, a Greek lyra that I, and, and just like sitting with it on the guitar being like, oh, the song is like, and also working out the vocal arrangement and like doing the harmonies with you and I being like, oh, this song really works. It's like a, just like a really pretty folk song. And even though it was, it was like months after that, before we actually got into the nitty gritty, I always had in my head like, oh yeah, this song needs to have a beating heart sonically. Like it can't just be this like slick electronic thing. Like it needs to feel, uh, it needs to feel as lived in as the lyrics are. So I think that was one of those things where going in, I was like, I knew I wanted to have acoustic guitar in there. And yeah, just organically, as we started adding all of these, these instruments, it just felt really natural to just be like, to have it sound like a almost like a pop punk record or a certain more like a folk punk record with like big drums yeah. and like gang vocals to take it out of this electronic world and into this like new kind of just organic space. Well, I think we were both so surprised and even like floored by how 
nice it was to play acoustically. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we didn't have that opportunity when it was just like the song, but when we finally played it live, we didn't have a track. So we just played it. You were on guitar, we had the lira, I was on the piano. And it was so nice. Like yeah. this, the, I think the writing, because it's so rhythmic, is able to drive the song without needing all these electronic all these electronic elements. You know, we talked about it on the Tendencies episode, but I'm sure you and I both had a hesitation to even to touch anything about the song. Right. When we first started because it's like this song has been here forever. It's been sitting there like, for a really you long know, time. Like I, I don't want to I don't want to touch it. I feel, you know, I feel weird, you know, going into the production that I've known now for two years, three years. But the first thing that you did, I remember, was you you started playing the guitar. Right. And you had me retract the piano. So that it was, it sounded like my my voice yeah. when I did it live. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the first step was just to play on top of what was already there, what we had played, what we'd been playing, and I mean, especially when we started doing the production list, we'd also been in quarantine and had done hella live stream shows. We played the song acoustically like a lot. Yeah. So it was like that version of it was so ingrained that I'm like, yeah, it's a kind of a no brainer to bring that to the production. Even the harmonies. I love, like, yeah. I love the harmonies. Like that, that sort of just came because what are you going to do live? You're going to yeah. have us sing in unison. Like, you know, you, you brought those harmonies to the table and then all of a sudden, like the song felt, you know, was, was just punched up so much. Yeah. But what I think what was, what was really interesting about the production process was that that alone was not enough. Like just like recording guitar and recording piano, it still didn't feel right. Like it, like just sitting with it in that version it was like, okay, like, it just kind of sounds like you slapped some piano and some guitar on this electronic beat. Like, it took a little bit more finesse and, like, kind of peeling away some of the layers. I remember the, there, there was definitely one production session where it went from being, before we added the, the live drums and, and, like, the cellos and everything, there was one session where I feel like it went from being, like, I think we can make this to work to like, okay, now it works. Right. And I think a lot of it had to do with like replacing a lot of the percussion sounds that were just really aggressive and like finding the rhythm. The of kick like, was so the heavy. The kick was so heavy. Yeah. And and the snare was all over the place. And there was like really weird clicky percussion because it was back in the at the time when like I was obsessed with like the most pretentious percussion ever uh, that, you know, was cool in a vacuum. Like if I just soloed the drum bus, it sounded like that's really interesting sound design, but it wasn't working for the song. So I had to like kind of like go back in with a with a with a scalpel and be like, okay, what what actually needs to be here and like what now that I've no more all these years later, like what just utilitarian, like, okay, that's a better snare sample. Like I'm gonna put a little shaker here just to make sure the subdivision is represented. Like I'm gonna, you know, add some high like vocal choppy like ambient shit just to fill out the like mid-range. And like once I did all that kind of stuff and it wasn't just like piano on top of these really hard drums, then it was like, okay, now this feels like what we're fine should theoretically feel like. What is also interesting about like the production process that some people might know or not know, but whenever you make a song, your your computer has to do a lot of math. Right. Like your computer is running major plug-in chains and you know, as much as you want to like bounce down stuff, if you have to make like a, even a small edit or like a small adjustment, that would mean that you have to bounce it down again and again and again. So when we started adding the organic elements, we had to have a separate session right. for the organic elements, which in a lot of ways I think helped us out because it let us focus on the core of the song, yeah. make sure the core was right. And then, okay, here's, here's the session with the drums and the trumpets. And, and hearing the trumpets, I was like, oh, there's still room in this sort of organic space to, to be punched up by, by cello. So right. I didn't know who to call. And we had Johan Lennox on the show like a while back. Right. And Johan is like an incredible arranger. You know, his his whole bag is, you know, these great string arrangements for 
these major artists. So I asked him, like, who do you got? And he recommended Isaiah Gage. And a legend of the game. Holy crap, did he bring it? Yeah. He I I will never forget when he like he he just my, I mean, mind you, this happened three like four weeks ago. Right. But I for the rest of my life will never yeah. forget <laughs> when he sent the his first cello pass. It was just the cello stems and what that sounded like. There was just so much warmth and life and energy to it. Because th- that was his bag. He just knows how to do that. Yeah. Like, we we sort of had an arrangement, but he was like, I get what you're trying to do. Yeah, it was like a little he, bit. He very nicely was like, I get what you're trying to do, but I got you. Yeah, Like, yeah. don't worry. Like, which, you know, and we'll talk about this in a later episode. He also did for Butterflies in just an incredible way, which is a song that's on, on different plans. But I, just hearing the trumpet, like that first pass, just hearing the trumpet, the cello, the drums, all of it coming together, yeah. that really just just hit me. One of the things that we started doing around making Don't Like Me, because we wrote this song, we wrote Don't Like Me, we also wrote a song called Still Sucks. But we started really getting into doing gang vocals. Right. And, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it, but I think that what I love about doing gang vocals on a song is one, it's, it's now becoming part of our sound. Two, it's a kind of call back to our sort of pop punk or like stomp and holler folk roots. Right. Three, it is a very sort of cathartic way of getting a lot of emotion out into the song. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, when we make these vibey tracks, we have to kind of be like a little bit more restrained. And it's nice to like be able to punch it up with like like every song that that is sad, I want to yell. Right. You know, and we get an opportunity to do that. And it's just fun fun to do. Those are my sort of rationales for, for having these gang vocals, like gang vocals in general becoming a sort of consistent part of our sound. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's a nice... It's just from a pure production perspective, like it's, they kind of always sound good. You know, it's, it's, it's like doubling a vocal, but it's, it's less clinical and, and sterile than just getting the vocalist who's singing the song to do a double. Cause then it's just like adds more of the same frequencies, but there's something about off mic, both of us singing together in unison, stacked on top of each other a bunch of times. You keep saying always, but baby, that's a long time. just adds this like stereo image and this like really nice aura around a lead vocal. Like if the lead vocal is like super dry and up front and then you add a gang vocal to it, it just adds this whole other like beautiful thing to it. And it kind of, yeah, it just kind of always sounds good. What I like about it too, from a symbolic standpoint, is that when we were using the vocoder as like, oh, this is when like depression's hitting. I feel like every time we bring in the gang vocals, it's for something, it's for a line that's mad. Right. You know, it's like fears aren't justified, but she replies. You know, just just hearing hearing the switch from sad to anger. Like, there's something very like, because I think it's important an important emotion to kind of channel. I, you've also gotten really good on the production side of producing gang vocals, and that was a big kind of turning point for I, I feel we're fine because right. when we were doing the very speed, I'm like, oh well, we have this gang vocal, and so in the spirit of different plans, you know, different plans like the EP title literally getting its name from us having to change our plans this year, we figured like. This song is an experience that everybody's had. Everybody, in a sense, could write a verse right. on this song, you know, of their own experiences and how how hard it is to bet on always. So we just 
started to make some calls. You keep saying always, but baby, that's a long time. Be pacing around the house in the middle of the night saying we're fine, we're fine. What I love is that it's this nice like mix of like professional and personal people on it. Right. Like I have like my best friends like David and Nicole on it. I have... Uh, Isabel, who I had a crush on in high school, and right. I was, she was in my first band. But then also we had like Kira Kazarin and and our collaborator Max and Salem, Kurt, who goes by yeah, Yoss. We got Sad Alex on there. We got Amelia on there. Yeah, Amelia Lee. Yeah, we got every we got we got a bunch of people who were willing to do it as in as short notice as possible. Right. Because it, it was one of those things where it was like due like in three or four days, and I'm like, I have this idea that's gonna be really hard to execute. <laughs> I'm gonna text everybody and see if we can get it done. But it's nice to be able to hear this like what is essentially a commentary on repeated mistakes and about like love that doesn't work and realizing that we are in a sense surrounded by love that has worked, just not necessarily that specific type of love. Right. And so there, it was nice that it, there was this embodiment of anger mixed with this embodiment of friendship and and how they sort of coalesce together to be this this powerful moment of just not not knowing what you can necessarily commit to. Mm. And then it just goes to town. I, I appreciated that. Like, I thought it was just a bit too, like I, I was I was worried to be too much, but I'm so glad that like you were on board with the, like the dun, 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 dun. At the end, you yeah, because it's intense, you know. What were your feelings as the song was like actually coming together? Like what, you know? Because at at a certain point, like I was I was getting the cellos in, I was getting our friends in, but at the end of the day, you know, you you make the song happen, and I, I'm I'm wondering how it felt to be in the driver's seat of that. Yeah, it's interesting because Leah, like I said, the song has been on such a journey. It's one of like from the that first like moment in the dorms in 2015 when we wrote the chorus. It's always a chorus that I loved. I've had I've had people tell me that like after I remember after we played it at uh at the when we opened for Transviolet at the Echo, uh, one of my ex's friends told me that I was like that's like that's your best song like that's that's the one you know it's a chorus that like people people have responded to it's always a chorus that has sat really well with me and a song that especially once you started playing it acoustically I'm like yeah this song has a lot of heart and it feels like a sleeping lion song in a really special way, um so yeah like I said it's it. It took a while for it to come together, this final round of it. And it it, it was a daunting process because because the song had such emotional weight, I knew how, how much it meant to you and how much it had sort of meant to me over the years. There's such a pressure to get it right. You know, like this is the version. Like it's gonna, even still, I'm just like, wow, it's wild that like the version that people are listening to right now, like that's the version of We're Fine that exists. So I think what was... Like I said, there was that one session where I feel like it went from being like, I don't know if I know how to make this work to I just sat down, like gripped my teeth and was like, okay, I know I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to like do what I do, follow my instincts and see where they take me and like just clean it up and, and make it feel kind of organic and interesting. Uh, and then past that point, like I think I had the pleasure of not necessarily having to worry about being in the driver's seat because so much of what was happening was the other musicians who were on it. Like at the end, the, really taking it to the finish line didn't feel like much of, it took much from me other than making executive decisions, which we did together. Because what really brings We're Fine to life is the drums and the trumpets and the cellos and the gang vocals. Which in a lot of ways, like we just let, we trusted the musicians yeah, to do. Yeah, we just, we just called our people and, and said, do your thing. And everyone did their thing. And, and that's like, that's, you know, that's oftentimes the most fun for me. 
when, when I can just trust other people to do their job really well. And then my job is just like putting the puzzle pieces together. That's really what it felt like. I love that the last piece of the puzzle was when we recorded the gang vocals with uh, Sophia, Kira, and Max. Yeah. Because we were all in a, in a small room right. with one mic. And it reminded me of when we were in the dorms and how we used to do the gang vocals for, you know, by now you won't. Right. And it just, there was something really special about ending the song in a, in a place that felt so familiar to where, where the song started. Right. We sort of joke around that like being able to go to somebody else for mix and master is enjoyment insurance. Yeah. Because we would, I don't even want to say we, like you would mix and master Sleeping Lions stuff, you know, exclusively, you know, until until we we met Eric. Right. And even so, like the first song that we, like he would only master the first song that we ever really had mixed by somebody else was Balance. Right. Uh, our friend Mike Panic, who's in um, Transviolet, he's been our, our mixing and mastering guy. So what was so nice was knowing, okay, we're going to have all of these elements. We're going to th- throw so much stuff at this song. And then we're not going to have to worry about yeah. how they, you know, blend together because we get to pay somebody to do that. Right. Somebody who's, who's got better ears and is smarter than us in that regards to do it. And I think in that sense, like Mike did an incredible job and Eric did an incredible incredible job to really make those moments feel huge. Yeah. Is there a piece of sound design that you really love and want to sort of call out? One of the last pieces of production I did on this, and this you, you would need bad ears to hear this, on the um on the guitar layer, one of the last things that I did to it, I'm like that just needs like a little extra sauce. I added a, a, a Celeste sample, like a really pretty kind of glockenspiel bell, and then threw it through a phase distortion and a reverb. So it's like this really pretty bell on top of it that's like distorted to all hell and like washed away in the background. What I love about Logic's phase distortions is it just it just fucks stuff up in a really pretty way, and it was kind of the perfect sound for this like for this guitar thing, like to add this like extra kind of sparkle on top of it. And it's just kind of part of the sound. Well, I love the guitar too, what it does for the song because it's like everything's this like pretty atmospheric stuff. And there's just what this one gritty element to be like, oh, you're not safe. Like you're not like yeah. you're not out of the woods, you know? I love the intro. Like because oh, yeah. because what, what it originally was was us just singing the chorus. And then you recorded the very speed gang vocals, intending to record regular vocals at some point over it. Right. But then we just never did because it sounded so cool that it opened up with You keep saying no. I really appreciated that it was like this intro and then this tape and this riser. Yeah. And the riser is a sort of blend of like, you know, just like a little bit of fuzz, but also like a rewinding of a tape. Yeah. And so again, and like, the, there's the, uh, you, if you listen really carefully, you can hear the sound of a film projector in the yeah. beginning. And that's oh just yeah. Like, I just, I love that sound. I've used it in a couple things that I've, I've been working on just cause it's like, it's just such a good sound. It just feels so like warm and it really puts this kind of filmic edge on whatever's underneath it. And I feel like that's that's especially the vibe we're going for with a lot of our stuff. Is there a lyric that resonates with you? Mm, yeah, was, Even uh, though it's my like my stories. Yeah, like, I was there... I was I was wondering that. Yeah, I think I think the obvious one is because because it's it's such a simple like on the nose lyric, but it is uh, I think I think a really relatable one is I keep repeating these mistakes like they're new for me to make. Mistakes like they're new for me to make. Yeah, I think I think there's something that, that everyone can kind of relate to in that. But I think and and also yeah, I think the chorus the chorus always got to me because the chorus always reminded me of myself. 
uh, the pacing around the house in the middle of the night saying we're fine. Like this kind of nervous energy. Like like the the idea that something is very obviously wrong, but you're con- you're muttering under your breath like we're fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. That that I think is something I can very much relate to as as a human being. And I think that that's one of the reasons the song always stuck with me. Well, it was it was this I you know idea of like too of so much of my like my relationships are sort of tainted by worrying right you know and so how how healthy or how good is this thing that you know we we are fighting for always when uh, on the other side like always means panicking on a regular basis right. you know which is a repeated mistake i think you know if there's anything i've learned in just sort of growing up it's been like you know worry less and 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 trust you know more etc the lyric that hit me like from the jump was actually at the end. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't mind waiting around, but we both have our lives to live. Right. And we knew what we could live without. No, I now wouldn't mind waiting around. We both had our lives to live. We knew what we could live without. Because that, that's the thing is like, you know, we put these relationships on pedestals. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that where we are right now, I'll never forget your mom actually gave you advice that I then heard or she gave me advice. There's the idea of like when you're in your 20s, you kind of have to be selfish because you're right. building your life. And so I know that no matter how intense a relationship is or whatever, that you know my priorities are to sleep and lie into this thing that we're building, to my own growth as a person, et cetera. And so you know, as much as I, in a sort of grand romantic way, would be like, I'll wait for you. The truth of the matter is, is that like, I, like anybody can live without anybody. Right. And just sort of the fact that you know that at your you know in your core is kind of a non-starter so to speak, you right. know, but I, but at the same time is is a really powerful thing to understand because that's how you let go. Is like there will be more like what we used to say back when we would go through hard stuff, we'd say um there will be more and there'll be better. Right. Because there has to be, like because you're just getting smarter and and understanding yourself better, etc. I think that's all we have to say about the song, you know, is there, I mean, it's so crazy that you listener get to listen to it because, you know, it's, it's a new song for you. And yeah. for us, it's like. That chorus written in 2015. That's old, it's old baloney. It's, it's old baloney, but it means something still. And I, yeah. I hope that you can hear it, you know, and I hope that you can hear, hear the growth, you know, all we learned both as producers, writers, and people. You know, the friends we made who were able to be a part of it. We, we have old friends, new friends, and new old friends yeah. on it, which is just so, so nice. I hope, I hope that all of, the, all of the kind of blood, sweat, and tears that went into the song, uh, whether, whether consciously or subconsciously, connect with people. I hope that, I hope that people are able to, to get invested in the story of the song and see themselves in it and hopefully have some kind of catharsis. And in hearing you tell your story and hearing all of our friends come together to sort of uh, augment that story in music. And I'm curious to see how it evolves, you know, whether we have people adding their verses or right. we write more verses and stuff, you know, in a very real way, our lives are just verses, right. you know, verses or choruses that haven't happened yet or are in the process of happening. So it's cool to have this be a time capsule of of not just the dorm, but Big Bear and, and you know, the quarantine. Right. It's, it, it captures so much and so many relationships and so many new skills or new ideas or new sentiments. It's just... I'm really, I'm really curious to see how it connects with you, listener. So please check out our new single, We're Fine. If you haven't listened to it and you've heard us talk about it, I thank you, you know, but listen to it so it all makes more sense. Uh, show it to your friends, show it to your exes who you're cool with. And I really hope you feel something 
when you listen to it because we we definitely felt a lot while making it. You keep saying always, baby, that's a long time. We would like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.